you found the Farcast, the weekly podcast in its sixth season of helping you understand what's going on in Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr, and welcome to this special edition of the Farcast. Here we are at the still at the beginning of August. I am traveling. Uh, this week. I am in Montana as you listen to this, and I am with my son and a group of folks for the week, and we're fishing, and we're way out in the middle of nowhere with very little access to anything, and I want to tell you that it is peaceful and very disconcerting and unsettling for me not to have that cell phone working (laughs) everywhere that I am. Harry, it makes me nuts when I, when I'm, you know, dis. I remember the days when I first got the first cell phone in the car, and they drilled the hole in the back windshield and put the little pigtail antenna out there, and I could make a telephone call from my car. I couldn't believe it. It was so cool. Now I can't decide how I lived without the thing ever. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, a uh, number of things to talk about here as we look at markets that have been surging back to new highs. Uh, the Federal Reserve is continuing on its course. Interest rates now five and a quarter to five and a half in the short term. Treasury yields are moving up. Mortgages are touching 7%. And stocks seem to be pulling back a little bit here. There's a lot going on. I want to take a step back, however, this week and talk about some things about which I'm hopeful and about and a few things that are worrying me. Let me begin with a a story and a headline from the Wall Street Journal. The story is this. A young man uh, came to talk to me recently. I have a lot of young people who come to see me for counsel, sometimes because their parents have sent them, sometimes because a friend has sent them, um, or sometimes they get to know me here or there and think that I may have some wisdom to share given uh, that my career has, has gone well for me. Um, so they want to see how, how'd you do it? What, and what should I do? And every college kid that I've ever talked to coming out of college, I mean, almost without fail, there've been a couple of exceptions, but almost all of them say, well, I've done all of this. What should I do now? Just tell me what to do. Where should I go? What should I do? Which job should I take? So that's, that's not unheard of. This young man, however, comes from a very wealthy family that owns a rather large company a big family company, very large company. Um, uh, I think uh, the main company has uh, fewer than a thousand employees, um, but but we're in that range. And then there are sub companies. Uh, His parents work there. His aunts and uncles work there. His grandfather still runs the overall company and is seen as the genius and the smartest man I've ever met. It's great by the time you get to be a grandfather, you get to be that guy, particularly (laughs) if you've run a company successfully. Some of the cousins work there. And he wanted to talk to me about uh, finding his role within that company as he gets out of, he's finishing college. And how does he, what should he be thinking about as he joins the company and what he could could do there? And uh, so I asked him a bunch of questions, as I am wont to do, to figure out what really is behind the question he's asking me. And he said, he, he described the life that he wanted to live, and it was a life of comfort and of privilege, uh, and he wanted to, you know, live the life that his grandfather has that he sees his parents having, but they don't have it to the extent that his grandfather does, And but there's plenty of money for everybody. 
What he didn't say was that there was something he wanted to create. What he didn't say was, boy, there's a great company there and here's how I think I can make it better. I asked him if he had any designs or ambitions or ideas to make the company better. And he said, no, no, not really. I, I just like to get in there and run it. Uh-huh, you'd like to get in there and run it. And what the interesting part there, ladies and gentlemen, is that the running of a company is the growing of a company. There's always attrition inherent in every company. Customers die uh, at the very baseline of attrition. Uh, people, your products change. There are new regulatory uh, environmental rules that might make what you produced yesterday, you know, somewhat anachronistic 10, 20 years from now. So you always have to innovate. You always have to be creative and you always have to build on what you have in order to almost stay even, just to tread water um, and he hadn't seen that. Now, okay, he's 20-something, and maybe he doesn't see that, and he hasn't seen it yet. I have talked to other 20-year-olds over time that have been rather ambitious and have said, no, here's what I want to do, Mr. Farr. I want to go here. I want to get an internship there. I want to go to Wall Street. I want to get to this company. I want to go to a family company, but I want to build this. I think our company could do this. On Wall Street, I want to get to be an analyst, and I want to go to a hedge fund, and I want to make $10 million. Great. I mentioned a headline in the Wall Street Journal today uh, that's bothering me. And it is uh, workers to employers. We're just not that into you. From workers to employers, we're just not that into you. And the article uh, goes on to describe uh, basically how people are preferring a better lifestyle and making lifestyle choices uh, in the post-pandemic economy, wanting to live more and work less. Folks, I understand this is one of the ways the pendulum swings and that there have been plenty of times, as Harry was pointing out to me earlier, where employers have said to workers, we're just not that into you. When unemployment's three and a half percent, all the cards are in the workers' hands. They are dealing the deck and they deal from the top or the bottom or any way they want. Three and a half percent employers need workers, much more than workers need employers. That changes over time. But this idea that we want to uh, choose to live more and work less has always struck me as remarkably short-sighted. Work less, live more. You, you you have to be able to afford to live more. And in my generation, there was a notion of delayed gratification that you would work during your youth when you were strong and energetic and could work and you would save your money for two reasons. One, to take care of yourself and two, so that your next generation could live a better life than you've had. That's been at the heart and crux of the American ethic for generations. Brent Scowcroft, in the foreword to my book, Restoring Our American Dream, The Best Investment, said that he came from a generation where we would work hard and sacrifice so that our children could enjoy better lives than we had. And he was concerned that we were living through an America where we had borrowed against that future, where we had racked up a huge amount of debt. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, the general was not wrong, over $31 trillion in debt for things that we are telling ourselves we need today. We have to have this today. 
And so we're willing to borrow. And the folks left with that bill are going to be our children and grandchildren. And so Brent Scowcroft, General Brent Scowcroft, I admired him. I can't tell you how much for his years of sacrifice and service and patriotism to our country, said, I fear, Michael, that we are living in a generation that's saying we're going to have that better life for ourselves today and let that next generation pay for it. I hope that that is wrong because we should be condemned for it if it's correct. It's a far step from the greatest generation of which Brent Scowcroft was a member, of which my father, uh, Harry Farr, is a member at 97. Dad will be 98 in October. He was in World War II. And his notion and Brent's notion of America and what America stood for and what it means and what the opportunities were to be an American are very different than talking to younger generations who want to tell me that they need to uh, work less and live more. All I want to do is shake them and say, look, young people, work your ass off now. Save your money. Do well. And you will enjoy later. But this idea that we have to have sort of uh, immediate gratification, that we're entitled to gratification, that we're entitled to happiness, one, doesn't make economic sense because you will decline in your later years. Uh, I, I promise uh, 78 years old is about life expectancy in the US and you're not making a lot of money at 78 and you've got to pay for a lot more stuff, including healthcare. So uh, work hard, save your money. Things will look good down the road. Otherwise, uh, you're going to be working right up to your last breath. That's nothing I care to do. So uh, I want to shake folks and say, listen, you're getting it wrong. You, the, the Constitution uh, and, and the U.S. ethic says, uh, it's the pursuit of happiness. That's what we ensure, the pursuit of happiness. There's no guarantee for happiness. The pursuit of happiness, the possibility that you can create things on American soil that you can't anywhere else. So I'm hopeful that America will continue to be America, and I'm hopeful that corporate America will continue to grow. And that's not a rainbows and unicorn kind of hope based on fairy tales. It's based on data and history that the American economy has grown consistently year after year over 10-year periods, every one of them, and continues to expand. And corporate America is that engine of economics and economic growth and profits that allow people to be hired. And those hired people get to go out and buy food and raise children and pay for tuitions, buy cars, live a life that they want and be independent and have their freedoms and do things here that can't be done elsewhere. Uh, I think that that will continue. I think that the American markets and economy and corporations will continue to grow, but I'm worried by this new complacency. I'm worried by this idea that somehow we deserve it and that government has to deliver it. it scares the hell out of me. Government has to deliver it. You're going to become dependent on government? You really want to do that? I'd like government out of my life. I don't know how you feel. I don't know how many more people you need to tell you what to do with your day and your time and your money and your house and your property. I don't need any more. There are zoning hearings in this little town I live in, 
in the summer times in Delaware. Boy, you can't, there, there are zoning rules and you've got to stick with them. And uh, a, a neighbor wanted a six inch incursion over the zoning rules and he applied for the variance and got turned down. <laughs> six inch six height inch. restriction, six inches on his <laughs> property. It was a roof line. A roof line would be six inches above what they say you can be above street level. And they said, no, no, you can't do that. Can't do that. You own the property. Well, okay. But this is the world we live in. And I, I value my freedoms greatly. And I don't mind working for them. And I'm so grateful to those hundreds of thousands of men and women who have served our military, who have put their lives at risk. I mean, this is what they're defending. Not the right for you to go into a museum and throw paint on some artwork because you're angry about not having what? Not, not having, I'm never even sure what sometimes these folks are protesting. So I trust in that long-term folks and I do that as an investor. And uh, there's a fine line that I worry about between uh, complacency and strategy. My strategy is a long-term strategy. I look at the fundamentals and I have to give them time to bear themselves out. So, and I expect America to swing back to the center in time and for this craziness to stop. I expect that reasonable people will prevail over time. I expect that the good nature of Americans and investors and human beings in general will prevail in spite of the evils that are out there and that that's gonna benefit the stock market. That's gonna benefit investing. That entrepreneurism, entrepreneurism is the foundation on which America has been built. Free market capitalism is the foundation on which America is built. That's where people can create companies and create jobs and lifestyles in a way it happens nowhere else around the world. So there is a reversion to the mean over time. It's something I have great faith in. And I hope that that's not complacency. I hope that we're not seeing things so bad that require action and a taking up of arms. I don't think so, but I hope I'm not wrong about that. My late partner, John Washington, was a magnificent guy and incredibly intelligent. And as an investor for over 60 years, he said there's a lot to be gained from benign neglect and masterful inactivity <laughs> as an investor. Benign neglect and masterful inactivity. Pay attention, but don't do anything. Harry Jennings is always saying, um, don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> As an investor, Harry, it's very good advice. Don't just do something. Markets start moving and investors today feel like they have to do a lot. You don't. The wealthiest people out there uh, that I've watched over years have a position in IBM or Microsoft that because of stock splits and everything else that has a $6 cost basis. And it's a million dollar position now. Why? Because they didn't sell it when it started to dip and Microsoft had a problem 15 years ago. Uh, they, they just stuck with a really good thing. Now you have to pay attention to those really good things because sometimes really good things don't stay really good things forever. Years ago, we thought that General Electric was a really good thing. You couldn't go wrong with General Electric or AT&T, certainly not, or AIG. Oh, those were the blue chip companies of the day. They do change, which is why you have to do the analysis, which is why 
you have to remain vigilant. As I circle back and end this bit of a rant for the forecast here, long-term disciplined investing will always, to me, make sense. Saving your money and making sure that you live below your means makes sense. Don't spend your entire paycheck. Have 15%, no matter how hard or what you have to sacrifice, squirrel money away. Have cash for a rainy day. I grew up as the child of Depression-era parents. Uh, I grew up, my mother uh, grew up, uh, two of her, my two aunts were told by my grandfather that they didn't need to go to college, that they would be married. And if they wanted to go to a finishing school, that that was okay, but there was no need for girls to go to college. That's what my grandfather told my aunts. My uh, Aunt Adele uh, actually always was bothered that she never had her college degree. She was always intellectually curious. And she got her college degree in English literature in her 50s. And I went to her college graduation, by the way. Uh, it was at Lincoln Center up in New York. I was there with my grandparents and my other aunt. And it was a full on, you know, senior class <laughs> of 20 something year olds. And when they called out my Aunt Adele uh, to come up and get her degree, they said that she was the oldest member of the class to get a bachelor's degree. And she got a standing ovation. Uh, and as I'm telling you the story, ladies and gentlemen, my eyes are still watering. <laughs> uh, it was such a wonderful, wonderful moment. We all went out to dinner afterwards and celebrated Adele. That's, what's, that's what America is about. But there was a message to my mother and my mother said, well, I, my mother, by the way, didn't listen to my grandfather. She got her college degree. She got her master's degree from Georgetown University, and she taught for 20-some-odd years. Very, very, very bright woman and kept going back for more classes and other things. Uh, had to grow herself. She would squirrel money away. She said, I have a little secret fund. Don't tell your father. So <laughs> many people of that generation, particularly women of that generation, would tell me the same thing. Well, I've got my money. I've got a little, I always have a little money on the side. That was common advice and wisdom. If you have money, you have opportunity. You have flexibility. You have optionality. You can make decisions and you've got a little bit of control. If you don't have a dollar in your wallet, you don't have many options. I taught my kids early on when they would uh, save money as children, I'd make, I'd say, okay, if you could do anything, let's think about five things you could do with this money. Five things you could do with the $4 you've saved in allowance. I want you to think of five things and then decide the one you want to do. And then they do it. And we go through this exercise and all of a sudden you don't have the four other things. You don't have the options. But when I talk to them, their eyes would get big about the, all the five <laughs> things. They'd like all of them. And they think about all the things they could do. Once they spent the money, all those discussions were off the table. And that was the point of that lesson to my children. And they'd save the money again. And over time, they became rather reluctant to spend the money. But they were always happy to talk about some of the things they might do with it, whether it was a new baseball mitt or lacrosse stick or ice skates or anything. Uh, it, was really, it was really cool to watch. And they've done very well in in saving take care of yourselves be self-reliant think about the long term 
We have some wonderful gifts, each and every one of us, and not without hardship, not without struggle, and uh, hard work and discipline will see you through. Looking to other people, expecting the handouts, looking to government, expecting things to be done for you will not get you where you want to go unless you always want to live a life of being beholden to others. Blanche Dubois, Blanche <laughs> Dubois was a, a tragic character, right? Streetcar, name desire. And her tagline was, I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. Ladies and gentlemen, I have not. And I would suggest that you ignore Blanche Dubois, that you listen to FAR, go out and work, be responsible, and grab hold with both hands as tightly as you can this wonderful gift of being an American, the wonderful opportunities that are available to you in this country. Go make good, make good for yourselves, make good for this country. We will all be lifted up by what you do and what we can do together. Think about the long term. Don't give up on America. Best place to invest and best place to live. Hope you have a wonderful week. I'll be back next week as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. For everybody at the Farr Miller in Washington, I'm my producer, Harry Jennings. I'm Michael Farr. Thanks for listening to my rant. See you next week. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Far Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented in any way to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisors for related questions.